think at, at places like Africa, you know, I was at your conference last October and you had panels that were addressing these these massive challenges that, that, that many countries are facing in terms of young populations that, that don't have access to education. I think it is unquestionable that those challenges can only be met through the proper adoption of digital technologies. And I'm really hopeful now that this mass adoption is going to drive data, it's going to drive investment in the space, it's, it's going to bring a lot of the things that are necessary to push us over the finish line in, in individualized student learning. Hello everyone, this is Bassem, producer of the show, welcoming you back to another episode of Wise Words, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. And who you just heard speaking in the intro is this episode's guest, George Strasnov, Managing Director of Strategic Education Technology Fund, BISC Ventures. George is joining us today to share some of his insights on the edtech space and the future of learning from an edtech investor's point of view. Speaking of EdTech Ventures, did you hear that we recently announced the 2020 cohort of the Wise Accelerator program? This time it's looking to take place almost entirely online. Be sure to check out the links in the description for more information on the new cohort and the program. And as always, be sure to subscribe to Wise Words if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast app. And without further ado, we'll now switch to host and CEO of Wise, Stavros Yunuka, to kick off the show. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Stavros Yanuka, CEO of WISE, welcoming you back for another episode of WISE Words, the podcast where we talk to some of the world's leading minds on education and beyond. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce today's guest, George Strashnov. Uh, George is the managing director of BISC Ventures, a strategic education technology fund and the corporate venture capital arm of BISC uh, Education. Uh, prior to moving to the Bay Area in 2015 to head up uh, BISC Ventures, George served as the Chief Strategy Officer uh, of BISC Education, uh, which provides online technology services and strategic advice to major nonprofit uh, universities that between them serve uh, tens of thousands of online degree and certificate students uh, in over 60 countries. He also served as general counsel at BISC, specializing in higher education uh, regulation, digital marketing, uh, and enterprise contracting. Uh, he previously founded two technology startups, a top-ranked financial information portal, and a business technology integrator. George, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you, Stavros. Thank you for having me. Um, George, I hope I did justice to uh, to your your background, but maybe there's some uh, nuance or some added uh, information you want to share with uh, with our audience about about your background before we get into the substantive uh, discussion. Yeah, I think what's sort of what's most interesting for me is I'm approaching 20 years in the edtech space, so going back to the early 2000s, and as as you can imagine, if you think back, things were quite different back then. Uh, the digital disruption that we've seen across so many industries was just getting started in, in, in media and communications and music and so forth. You know, we're still pre-Google, we're still pre-Facebook, et cetera. Uh, and education has been one of the holdouts as far as digital, you know, digital transformation and digital disruption. So, so back in the early 2000s, you know, helping a university go online uh, was, was, was a challenge in many respects. And so we were, you know, very focused on building out really from scratch, many of the things that today we take for granted, really across the student life cycle from a technology standpoint. 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so we were, we were talking to universities, you know, you know, very, very early on, we had very early adopters and it was all very new. And, and we imagined a day when, when all schools might embrace digital technology and might, might, you know, view online learning as a modality that they would include amongst their many modalities, you know, just as, just as media now is, is, is very digital and, and, and so forth. Um, but we never really anticipated that it would take a, a global pandemic to make that actually happen. Yeah. So, um, you know, on the one hand, we're gratified, and of course, on the other hand, horrified by what's been going on. Um, but it has been an extraordinary moment for for myself, having been in in online learning with with uh, with post secondary, to sort of see uh, and experience and and help to manage this 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 massive migration that's been happening. And, and and George, I think you know you bring you bring an interesting perspective because on you know you you have a background, I guess, as as a sort of service provider. Um, and, and, you know, possibly consultant in terms of, of advising entities to, uh, to, to go online. Um, and now, of course, you have that investor perspective as well. What, what would you highlight as, as being the difference between those, those two perspectives? Yeah, I, I think that's well said. What I, what I observed about my role, um, especially in the later years, for, for departing to set up the strategic venture was that more and more we were being called upon to be a, a trusted advisor to the institution. So as, 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 as digital learning was becoming more accepted and, and institutions started to build their own muscle around some of the different capabilities that were necessary to serve those students, um, we found that, you know, more than being expected to build things or to, to handle them completely on our own, we were becoming that partner that institutions needed. And because we had an end-to-end value chain uh, and therefore a view of all of the different pieces that were necessary to really support a a student at a distance, uh, an adult working professional who was never going to set foot on campus, the schools really started to treat us as uh, a general contractor, as as an expert in, in all of those things. And even if they weren't looking to us to necessarily provide those services directly, um, they were really looking to us to help them to direct traffic and figure out how best to do things. And so we, you know, the, the, the sales process really became this long and very involved conversation that I think looked much like a consulting process. And the, the, the documentation and the, the results and the conclusions that we were coming to, in some cases, didn't lead to a relationship. The school would choose to do things on their own or they would choose to go with another provider or they would ultimately decide this is not for us. Um, but that conversation was becoming largely, I, I think, like a consulting relationship. And then when it came to launching and putting new programs online, again, it, it was becoming more and more about cultivating the right technology stack and thinking through processes and doing away with old systems and so forth, more so than just recruiting students and putting them into a, into a platform. Um, and I think that that continues to be the evolution that we're seeing. Um, you know, BISC was really there at the beginning of the outsource program management, the OPM uh, evolution. Um, and it really made a lot of sense. We always viewed ourselves as services that were tech-enabled as opposed to a technology company. And because BISC was never you know, venture-backed and never raised money, it was a publishing company from 50 years ago that, that morphed into this service providers from the market to pretend we were a SaaS company. We were very much a services company. And so we would throw large teams of professionals at the various challenges that students and administrators would encounter trying to serve this very diverse, very different population through the Internet. Um, and so that, that was our role. And I think that that role continues to evolve, right? So most institutions now, and in fact, all of them have embraced to some degree, 
the modality of teaching and learning online, but they still struggle in many cases to have the staff and the team and the, and the viewpoint of how to, to do that well. Um, and certainly COVID now has made that acute. Um, yeah. So we're seeing our role really shift into one of, of that support mechanism to gap fill, um, to ensure quality, to ensure success, to ensure students are not left behind. And, and, and frankly, that administrators are not left behind because many of them have not had the digital technologies necessary to, to do their jobs in a, in a, in a completely online world. Um, and that really has been the story, I think, of our portfolio because our, our investments, unsurprisingly, have been focused in that arena. Um, and so, therefore, have seen, I think, tremendous tailwinds across the board uh, with, with, with COVID now changing everything. Uh, t- say a little more about how the, how the corporate venture arm fits into the overall strategy of, of, of BISC. So, we actually, we've run it as a family office. So, I have a, a lot of latitude. It's, it's the, the family's resources, and we, we do have a little bit more of a philanthropic bent than if we were pure, pure corporate. Um, but, but very much our focus and our thinking around the space is driven by my own experience for 20 years, uh, as, as well as that of, of, of Michael Bisk, who founded the firm, has spent his entire career, over 25 years, working at the company that his father founded. You know, we, especially in the early days, were having to solve many of these challenges ourselves. So if you think about it, the online learning population, we would have to find them. So we were in recruiting and marketing. We were in uh, the admissions process and onboarding. We were assisting the schools to manage all of the the myriad nuts and bolts of gathering up all of the application components. We had many international students, so just imagine all the challenges we were dealing with. And and because it was online and and, and therefore students didn't have to travel, we were able to cast a much wider net. And so we really increased mission and increased scope and um, brought in just a very, very diverse student population, but that carried with it many challenges. So we were having to build a lot of those things. And in some cases, we built very elegant solutions. In some cases, we were putting things together very rapidly, and we built uh, you know, sufficient solutions, but not necessarily elegant or sort of deeply data-driven because we simply didn't have the resources or the time. As the edtech community now has grown up around us, you have many, many startups that are focused on a lot of those very narrow slices of our value chain and are doing great work um, because they can focus and because they have the resources and, and they're working with you know, a number of institutions and, you know, in some cases, scaling to dozens or hundreds of institutions. And so they can solve these challenges much more effectively than we could as a, a large scale across the board, you know, full value chain provider. And yeah. so it became very clear to us, you know, not surprisingly over the years that it, 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 it didn't make sense to continually try to build everything ourselves, but we needed to become an adopter. And so the, the, the point of the venture was to take all of our understanding candidly of all of the challenges and the pitfalls and the problems that we had been challenged ourselves to solve for and that we certainly knew were, were, were sort of consistent across the space and say, let's go support some of these startups that are trying to solve these problems and help them be effective at doing that and, and thereby drive efficiency and efficacy really across the ecosystem, not just for the dozen institutions that we supported. Um, and so that's really how we've done it. We've, we've really looked, you can, you can see a dotted line back to our value chain and everything that we have in the portfolio. Um, and we, I think, have done a, I think a good job of helping those, those different companies to, to really understand the problem they're solving for. In some cases, they had some idea, but maybe not a full idea. Or in some cases, they, they had a great solution, but they didn't know how to speak to higher ed. A lot of times these are, are young people that, you know, their primary experience as, as engineers or business people is that they got an MBA or an engineering degree from a school um, yeah. and encountered a problem that they now are trying to solve as a business person. 
Um, and so helping them really understand, you know, how to segment the market, how to think about sales, how to think about implementation, how to how to really connect their their solution to the problem and all the ways that a business has to do to be successful, I think has been really our mission. And so in addition to the capital that we give them, um, and, and we, we tend to do this, you know, really early in the cycle, um, we get very involved, very hands-on with the product and with sales and with, with implementation to make sure that it's successful, to make sure that it's not, not just sticky for the next round, but it's actually solving real problems. Yeah. Because we believe that if, if they are really solving these problems, then they have a viable business. And it's less about 10xing or 50xing that business. It's about a 50x impact on what students need or what administrators <laughs> need. So whether that results in an IPO or it results in just being acquired by a, a larger vendor that, that ultimately now can do a better job of, of solving these problems with which we are intimately familiar, for us, that's a win. So that's that's kind of what's driven our investment philosophy. And, and do you, I mean, I... I can imagine that you'd be a, uh, a sought after investor because of that yeah. intimate knowledge of the space and, and, and access to an ecosystem where, you know, in a sense, if you're investing in a solution, that solution will have some sort of privileged access to, to the network of clients and, and partners that you've, you've developed over, over the years. Yeah. Because we didn't, we didn't come in and start a $200 million fund and, and, and sort of, shoot off fireworks when we arrived. We really came in with a, a relatively um, yeah. small mandate to intersect with the ecosystem and start to figure out if we could actually play a role in the, in the, in the startup ecosystem and make an impact there. Um, you know, it was important that we, that we clearly articulated this value. And I think people heard it right from the get-go and understood it. And I think now we've demonstrated with, with over 30 companies in the portfolio over the last five years some of them, you know, doing quite well now. All of them were early stage, so it's, you know, it's, it's a three- to five-year cycle. But a number of them now are doing quite well. They're doing B rounds. They're looking at growth rounds and so forth. So we're very gratified, you know, by, by our, you know, sort of the validation of our instinct about what was necessary. Yes, I think a, a, a big value add to all of those companies was the, the potential for, for our learning and knowledge to, to help impact what they were doing. And, and is, I mean, is there a secondary objective here as well of, of- of using your, um, you know, your engagement with the startup world as a, as a form of market intelligence as well, just to kind of keep abreast of, of what's going on. Because I, I know from, you know, my, my background as a consultant way back, <laughs> way back when now that, you know, one of the, one of the challenges big companies uh, face is they have, you know, they develop blind spots because they have a formula. It's successful. They keep replicating that formula. They're not necessarily looking outside as to what might be coming to disrupt that, their way of doing of doing things. Unquestionably, that was that was we identified that as a, a key goal and objective of the firm from day one. Um, again, because as a strategy officer and as one of the primary agents who was on campus, I spent probably fifty to sixty percent of my time while while I was at Fisk, actually not at the corporate campus in Tampa, but but on university campuses dealing with, with all of these different challenges and working with administrators and, and, and academic leaders across the board, you know, we, we were intimately familiar with these challenges. And so um, having a, a seat at the table with these small companies that were just laser focused on things that, you know, we, we were not focused on, again, because we didn't have the resources at the time or because we had a, we had a system. You know, we were supporting, you know, more than 50,000 students around the world with a dozen institutions across hundreds of programs. And so at some point you have to operationalize that and, and make decisions 
and go forward. And, and so when, once you do that, you then cut off, you know, the potential to do things differently, do them better. Um, and there was absolutely a dynamic tension as, 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 as I and others would come back with, with new, new thinking and new ideas. You were always challenged at how that might be folded back into the company. I think one of, you know, and one of the challenges candidly with the venture fund has been, you know, we've lots of great ideas, lots of great companies, lots of great traction and validation, but figuring out how to then weave that back into the stack uh, of a company that is, you know, it's, it's a 747 flying at 40,000 feet. How do you start to then change out the parts? So I think every large corporation has this challenge. I'm, you know, many of my colleagues in the space are all also, you know, corporate strategic venture there like us looking at, at, at how to you know, be a, a best of breed adopter, I think that is very much the challenge. Um, I think as OPM has evolved, it has gone from very much a focus on building an end-to-end solution so that we didn't lose students along the way and could, and could really provide you know, a quality experience and, and an outcome, which was graduation or completion, to yeah. now thinking how do we back away from doing everything um, without losing quality. And unquestionably, the way we do that is through partnership with with others that have really perfected these different slices of the value chain. And so, you know, that's that 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 was the focus. That was the idea. And whether we, you know, ultimately built something ourselves, or we modified, or or evolved something that we were doing to to try to replicate, or or you know, do do similar work to what we were seeing. If if it really if it really wasn't a fit, um, or we or we just said, you know, they're doing it so much better. Let's just let's just fully adopt. Um, that was always the idea that we, we would have now a seat at the table to really understand best of breed and where that was going. We haven't seen, I, I would say that we haven't really seen any sort of major sea change as a result. I think in a lot of cases, it was validating our thoughts around something. But again, because the, that, that company was purely focused on it, they ended up doing it really, really well. Yeah. Um, and so that's been instructive. I don't know that anything we've invested in has said to us, oh my goodness, we had this completely wrong. Um, you know, yeah. But I, I do think in many cases it has sharpened our thinking and, and in some cases we've adopted and it's, it's significantly improved our own, our, our own solutions and work in that, in that regard. So, so we've, we, you know, we've been following the ed tech space since, uh, since the launch of the Wise, Wise Accelerator. And, and we'll, we'll come to the sort of the, the, the COVID effect, but you know, for, for the last, you know, I would say five or so years, there's been a, you know, a significant uptick in investment in, in ed tech solutions. So it, it clearly predates COVID. And what, from your vantage point, um, George, what's, what's been driving that, um, that boom in, in, uh, in, in venture funding going into, into ed tech? Yeah, I think, um, you know, certainly having the longevity in the space that we do We've seen this long, slow evolution of, of adoption, both in, you know, and if you can segment it K-12, post-secondary, future of work, um, we're, we're not involved in K-12, but for us, post-secondary always was future of work. The majority of our students for the last 20 years have been working professionals. So, you know, our, we've had relationships with, with large international global companies that are, that are sending us students. That's been a, a big part of our business historically going back to the beginning. Um, so when you look at digital disruption, as we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, in, in, in other major industries, uh, in some cases, utterly changing those industries from the inside out, really in education, it, it, it's such a large industry. It is such an important um, element of, of, of not just, you know, 
the early part of, 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 of every individual's life, but it really is such an important component in, 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 in educating and preparing the world for work and, and now helping people to reskill and upskill and so forth. Um, it is such a, a large business and it doesn't view itself as a business, you know, honestly, which I think is part of the challenge. Um, it yeah. views itself as a public good and the, and the, and the people that run it are, are, are highly educated, highly trained, very passionate people who care deeply about their subject matter and, and, and about imparting that and, and pushing knowledge forward and not really running an efficient business. And so I think it has largely resisted a lot of these uh, dis- disruptive elements of what's happened with technology. So it's been a long, slow burn. You know, there have maybe been a few leaps here and there and the impact of, you know, MOOCs in 2012 and, and other things that we can, t- you know, other, other, other moments in time where we've seen some change and some disruption or some, some awareness. You know, we really haven't had that moment. But I think there's always been this idea, this belief that, you know, the world in your pocket should impact, could impact, needed to impact education, um, especially education spread across the entire working world, not just that 18 to 22-year-old or that, that 5 to 18-year-old to cohort. And so that's been happening, and, and you've seen a lot of investment in that. The, you know, the, the, the category of pure play education investors is, is relatively small. There are not that many firms that just specialize in, in investing in education. And, and even the larger Silicon Valley firms that have invested in education, there are, there, there are not that many that have a strong vertical focus. They, they, they tend to be um, you know, browsing as opposed to, to, to dedicated. So you have, I think, a relatively small amount of capital and a relatively small amount of attention to the space. Um, historically, and I think that's growing, right? And now, because of COVID, I think you see you see tremendous investment now that's starting to really focus on on our space globally, right? So India is a story right now. You're seeing a lot of big investment in India. Obviously, they have a huge population. They've made some changes with respect to online learning. I think Southeast Asia. I think Africa clearly is a market that I know that you all are focused on impacting, and I think you're starting to see some attention there. It's in you know, even, even in North America and, and Europe, where you have fairly um, mature uh, tech adoption, I still think that it's, it's relatively early. And so I think the you know, investment chases opportunity. And I think as you look around for large markets that still remain largely undisrupted, education is, you know, still sits there as this massive frontier. And I think you know, the money stayed away in, in part because you had a lot of challenges, a lot of barriers to entry. You didn't have a willing participant on the other side. Um, and certainly COVID has been a, a, a huge uh, game changer as far as all of that's concerned. So it, it doesn't surprise me to see money now really interested in the space. Mm-hmm. And what, what's your view um, about where, I mean, COVID is, is, is the impetus, but where is, you know, where is the disruption going to, going to come from in your view? Is it, is it going to be, the, the classic case of, you know, being being able to deliver a service, you know, education in this case, at a you know at a significantly lower cost, with you know achieving the same broad outcomes, is that is that fundamentally what's going to drive the disruption? It's a good question, and I want to answer it carefully. You know, I've been an apologist for close to 20 years for distance online, you know, it's had a number of different names for that being as good as, as being a good, a good facsimile for a traditional delivery methodology that that has been in place for 
hundreds of years, if not longer, right? And so we've had this constant conversation, can we do it? Um, I think, you know, COVID now is answering that question. I think, you know, to some degree, the jury's still out on whether it is as good as. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen, you know, I think, you know, my my concern, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword, right? COVID has forced everybody to, to now adopt these online technologies and modalities that I've been, you know, promoting and selling and supporting and talking about, you know, from, for half of my career. Um, at the same time, I'm very mindful of the challenges associated with that. Yeah. And if you don't have the proper preparation, you don't have the proper instruction, you don't have the proper understanding of how to use these different things. If you're not, you know, as a faculty member, as a student, as a parent, as an administrator, if you don't really understand and, and you know, panicked adoption of anything is probably not the best case. So yeah. I'm worried that you end up with bad experiences and everybody says, see, it's not as good as. It, it, yeah. it, it does not work like the old model. And so at the first opportune moment, we're going to go back to the old way. Um, I think that is that that remains um, a concern of mine, right? Mm-hmm. That, 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 you know, that the, the adoption is not done, done, done well and the student experience is poor um, and everybody runs back to, you know, the old way. Um, yeah. I don't think that that's going to happen across the board. I, I do think that um, there's change that will be permanent as a result of this. Um, and it makes sense, just like our lives have changed in so many ways through through digital adoption and digital disruption. So I imagine it'll be somewhere in the middle. Um, I, I don't want to be fatalistic about it, but I think that you will see some return to quote unquote normal. But I think you'll see a, a lot of the resistance and a lot of the friction that, that we experienced as a provider and that we've experienced as, a, as an investor in, in small companies that are trying to change these problems, I think, I think a lot of that now will go away. Um, and so I think that that evolution will, will accelerate uh, dramatically. Um, and it you know, kind of remains to be seen. We'll see if we're still you know, largely online uh, in the spring. And, and I think if we get a full, a full cycle, a full year where um, many of these, these, these academic administrators and, and students are, are, are using all of this technology. I think it'll just get, it'll get stronger and stronger. And I don't think you'll see, you'll see schools going back. Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's the change that we're seeing with COVID. Um, I, I, I don't believe that it, you know, we've completely done away with the old world, but to, but to answer your question about efficacy and cost and access and those sorts of things that has always been the promise of of digital disruption in higher ed was making it more affordable, making it more accessible and ultimately having, you know, having a much broader impact on, on, on the community, the, the, the world community. And as you look, I think at at places like Africa, you know, I was at your conference last October and you had, you know, panels that were addressing these, these massive challenges that that, that many countries are facing in terms of young populations that, that don't have access to education. I think it is unquestionable that, that those challenges can only be met through the proper adoption of digital technologies. And I'm really hopeful now that this mass adoption is going to drive data, it's going to drive investment in the space, it's going to drive, it's going to bring a lot of the things that are necessary to push us over the finish line in, in individualized student learning, um, in artificial intelligence having you know, a, a really important and solid impact on many of the different learning outcomes and, the, and those sorts of things, I think. Some of, some of the resistance and some of the friction in adoption that we've been experiencing has largely held back some of the ways in which it can actually have, have really positive impact. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, COVID will, will create the large data sets 
and 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 the, and the general adoption that will, will ultimately then allow education to you know to to do the things that it's meant to do um, in scalable ways to address some of our global challenges. Let, let's George, let's dig a little deeper into into um, what what you described as sort of hasty or or you know panic adoption and you know what looking around what are you know what are some of the mistakes that you know institutions who are sort of rushing to go online are are making um and that and that you know a more you know strategic and thoughtful approach to adopting um digital technologies could have potentially avoided yeah that's fair um and i'll and i'll be clear uh you know this is not about just the institutions that BISC serves. So I'm not, I'm not airing, you know, yeah. dirty laundry that's internal. This is really me more as an industry watcher. You know, yeah. I, I faithfully read all of the different trade publications that, that cover the post-secondary space you know, in North America. And there, there's a, there's been a really consistent, I think, theme, which has been, you know, it, it really is a perfect storm. There was, there was, there was little warning uh, in terms of the shutdown. Uh, it happened in the middle of the term. And you had, you know, this, this overnight demand, this pressure put on, again, not just the, not just the professors, but really the entire um, administra- administrative uh, edifice of, 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 of post-secondary higher ed. And so they had to overnight try to figure out how to take this, you know, large group of students that, that you know, the day before could walk into an office to get most of what they needed, whether that was advising or whether it was materials or whether that was support, uh, tutoring, et cetera, um, let, alone, let, you know, let alone go into a classroom and interact with their peers and interact with their, with their, with their teachers. Um, all, of that, all of that became inaccessible. And so, you know, that, that, that forced um, everybody across the campus to try to figure out an alternative solution. Um, and in some cases, there were not uh, solutions or they, they were, you know, they were certainly not aware of those solutions. And so we saw on the portfolio Many of those different functions go from being outbound sales to be now, you know, very much in, a, in an inbound um, capacity, and and those conversations in many cases were, you know, were rushed. They were they were um, panicked, and 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 there was, you know, in some cases a lack of understanding of what the solution was. There were there were challenges at implementation. Um, you you had people that you know were were having connectivity issues. Um, et cetera, right? So all the things that you would imagine would be would be challenging in that in, in that way. And I think certainly, you know, the, the summer gave gave an opportunity to to improve upon that. And I think that in the fall, I think I think that you know it, it's largely a better experience. Um, having said that, you know, many institutions put a lot of time and resources into hardening their campus, expecting to you know fight COVID um, by having students come back, but come back in the right way. Um, and, and as we anticipated, and I think many people feared, you know, many of those campuses tried and then shut down. And I think a lot of their time and their resources were spent on how do we, how do, we do this face-to-face safely to now, okay, now we are going to do it online. And because there is such a, an existential threat to, to post-secondary in terms of students taking a gap year, students being afraid, um, parents being afraid, et cetera, I think that most institutions rightly feared for their budgets going into the new year. Um, the new academic year. And as a result, there was this tension between getting it right and doing it well um, and not having the, the, the resources both for, for staffing um, as well as to invest in technology. 
you know, and I've had conversations with, with senior academic leaders where they're saying, you know, we can't get this wrong. And there's such a proliferation of tech out there, which, what do we buy? Um, you know, where do we put our money? Where do we put our emphasis? Because we can't just go license everything. We don't have the resources to install it. Um, and as, so as a result, I think you had this uneven um, approach driven in some part by, by resources and, and, and in some part by, by time um, or by focus. And so I think that's, you know, that, I, I, that speaks to what I was saying earlier about I'm not sure, you know, what persists and, and is still, you know, still out there post-pandemic. Yeah, because the adoption has been so rapid, and and and, and they re- there was really not a lot of time for reflection. What we yeah. saw was you know software solutions that would normally have a six month sales cycle, that they were making those decisions in in days or weeks and signing contracts and and, and putting it up. So yeah. I know that our companies worked very very hard to have the same level of quality and in, in, in implementation, um, yeah. but but one one has to assume that 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 some of that was lost, yeah. uh, and so I think that. You know, that, 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 that really was the challenge. So I don't want to say that schools got it wrong, but it, as I look at the different publications that I read, there is a lot of self-reflection on, you know, we didn't do this right or we could have done it better. You know, this, is, this was really a mess. Um, you know, this is not how we like to do things. And, and I know in, in my experience in higher ed, everybody's very considered, they're very thoughtful. These are academic leaders. And so they, they tend to research. They tend to think it through. They're very, they're very thoughtful and, and, and very intentional about how they do things. And, and COVID didn't give them that normal opportunity to do that. One could argue that maybe they're, they're too slow. And that's why digital adoption hasn't been as, as, as strong as it should be. But this is, how, this, is, this is how they operate. And so to change that, that sort of historical process overnight, I think, has led to some challenges as a result. Let, let me flip the question uh, now and, and you know, look at examples where, you know, maybe from your portfolio, of uh, of companies or from your clients that that you know have got it right. What are, you know? What are the elements of a good you know online education uh, program uh, and or even a blended program? And what what are those elements that that need to be in place for you to deliver um, a, a quality product? Yeah, I mean, if we're if we want to talk about the portfolio, so. Uh, I, I can give you some examples that I think would answer the question. You know, we have uh, one company, for example, called Presence. Their their product is a digital product, but it was largely focused on students on campus. And what it did is it provided a platform for student services um, to support students across all the, the extracurricular and co-curricular activity, which if you think about it is a huge component of what you do on campus. So these are intramural sports. These are speakers. These are um, events that are happening. Um, these are clubs. Uh, so the, you know, the myriad clubs and special interest houses that, that many campuses have, um, fraternities and, and, and all this sort of thing. Um, it was a platform to manage all of that. And these are huge budgets, right? You know, these are the student newspaper. This is student government. It's all the, the myriad things that students do. And I know in my own experience, you know, running the student newspaper, um, you know, having a staff of 40 and doing sales and meeting deadlines was a huge component of my academic experience. Yeah. It was a, you know, a major thing that set me up for business as an English major was, was running a, a major campus outfit. All of that budget, all of that support came from student services. So Presence was really designed to, to manage all of that. Um, so what happens when student services now is digital? Right. How do you how do you now support tens of thousands of students that used to go and gather around campus 
And, and, and frankly, that engagement and that experience is, is a huge component for many students in their academic experience. Yeah. So they had to, to, to you know, put their heads together now with these, with these leaders and say, how do we provide these kinds of, of, of interactive experiences for students in a fully digital world so that we can have that enrichment, so that we can have that, the, the, those peer interactions, so we can continue to meet those outcomes where they can't gather on the field and play flag football. So obviously a lot of that went away, um, but what remained in terms of you know, bringing in speakers or having panels or, or engaging in, in a variety of these different activities, they had to quickly pivot, and they did. Um, one of the areas where they got really tapped was with uh, orientation. So most universities will have you in over the summer for a face-to-face orientation. It's a way to meet your peers. It's a way to get comfortable with campus, et cetera. You know, how do you do orientation when you can't come to campus? So they became a huge solution for orientation. So that was one great example. And they you know, were able to very quickly pivot their solutions because it is a SaaS platform. They were very, very quickly able to pivot that to then expose a lot of that to students in a live environment. Um, we have a course key down in San Diego that was an active learning tool um, they did a lot of things in, in class to support digital instruction. They took, they took attendance when you walked in the door. They looked at your device and knew you were there and automatically took attendance. It allowed faculty to lock down browsers so people weren't you know, on Facebook when they should be paying attention. It allowed the faculty to poll students and those sorts of things. Very, very basic, very important functions. Um, and, and once everybody went on to Zoom, those functions remained important. Right, you were in a physical classroom. Now you're in a digital classroom. But many of these institutions that just went into a a live streaming environment, like we're in today, they didn't have the ability to take attendance automatically. They didn't have the ability to 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 put up learning objects or to do testing and that sort of thing. So, you know, the, 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 those folks at Korsky very quickly built the integrations into the digital platform so that they could continue to do those sorts of things. And they've been inundated with interest. Um, we've got, you know, Campus by Ucrew. Ucrew built a, 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 a mobile portal for students to do everything they need to do. If you look at their, their value proposition, students are interacting with dozens of different systems just to live their normal lives. And they were trying to enter, they have successfully integrated all of that into a single digital mm-hmm. uh, app. Um, and then there's a huge, hugely important data layer that sits behind that that allows that, that to be managed and that data to be centralized so for purposes of, of decision making and, and budgeting and so forth. So it, it's hugely valuable to academic administrators. You know, that became even more important because many of those functions on traditional campuses, again, were just face to face. And now they were forced to do it digitally and, and they needed a way to, to, to integrate that. So they've, they've had 3x growth just in the last six months. Um, so there are a number of things like that. Uh, we, we're, we're invested in, in Cialfa, which is a Singaporean company that, that is really global in terms of having uh, high school students um, be able to prepare for and, 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 and get ready for college and, and, and you know, have, a, have a, a data system where they can gather all their application components. They can look at schools. They can, it, it facilitates essentially the application process. They had huge outreach from schools saying, you know, you have all these students that are in your system. We can't recruit the old way that we recruited. You know, can you help us to actually access students and, and get come further into the funnel in terms of admissions and, and placement? Uh, and so they've seen just a massive uptick in business now simply because they're sitting at a nexus where before students could do things physically and now they can't anymore. Schools could do things physically. They can't anymore. So they now are a bridge where before there really wasn't necessarily the need for that bridge. So I think we're, you know, kind of across the portfolio, we're seeing that. Um, we, have, we have a company, Localized, which is very active there in MENA that was really focused on connecting uh, alumni and, and, and professionals in the world of work with students 
um, that were on, on campuses that didn't have those kinds of, of connections and inputs. Um, they now have, have, uh, have had hugely successful education fairs where they're now connecting work, you know, working professionals, not only for purposes of mentoring students, but actually because students are not being recruited, campus recruiters are not coming to campus because the students aren't there and everybody's at home. They've now provided digital connectors. So I think, you know, if you could kind of, if you could summarize all of that, it's these digital solutions that are having to bridge gaps that didn't exist before in a face-to-face world where people could yeah. travel and meet. They're now, they're now having to articulate and, and, and cover these gaps in ways that we didn't anticipate. And I think having done so are, are proving that you can be much more efficient and much more effective doing it that way. And I think many of those are things that will stick and will persist yeah. uh, post-COVID. And so we're very excited about that. Yeah. Now, that's, that's, um, that, that's absolutely right, because I think a lot of what you've described, in fact, I was thinking as you were you were speaking that hey, this is this is use, useful regardless of whether we're in a all online uh, world or or you know or or we're back to face to face. I'm I'm conscious of the time, George. So and and we need we need to wrap up, but uh, um, there, there's so much more to talk about. So I hope that we can you know we can circle back and you know and do this again um, again sometime. I mean, I think as you and I both. Uh, are, are both saying, you know, EdTech ed is here to stay and it will only uh, become more integral to the, to the education uh, enterprise. So I think there'll be, you know, there'll be lots to, to sort of reflect on and, um, and talk about. But let me, let me thank you for, um, first of all, getting, I, I can see it's still, it's just about, you know, it looks, I mean, it looks, the, the trees look absolutely beautiful behind you. So yeah. um, thank you for, you know, getting up so early and, and, and making this. It was really a, a pleasure chatting to you. And uh, thank you to the audience for tuning in. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like um, the post and subscribe to Wise Words on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or, or wherever else you get your, uh, your podcasts from. Uh, please keep an eye on our social media channels. Uh, we'll be back again soon. Um, in light of our discussion on EdTech, I'd also like to remind everyone that uh, we recently announced the 2020 cohort of the WISE Accelerator program, which uh, not surprisingly is going to be um, almost entirely online. And you can check out the links uh, in the description for more information on the cohort and the program. Uh, George, once again, thank you for your wise words. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.